Welcome to the Abyssinian syllabary, where we spell out Ethiopia in 33 characters. I'm Eve-Marie Stranger, your host and the compiler of these Abyssinian lives. Nota bene. While any resemblance to actual countries, past or present, and to historical figures is not purely coincidental, this is a work of fiction. For a primer on these Ethiopian characters, newcomers may start with the prologue by Manuel de Goes. To order the book or a poster of the Abyssinian syllabary, visit Ethiopia.com. That's U-T-H-I-O-P-I-A dot com. The Imagined Life of Cornu de l'Enclos, La Morte d'Arthur. I should now confess that the Daguerreotype that opens this chapter is a portrait of myself, taken shortly after I first encountered Jean-Michel Cornu de l'Enclos in the neighborhood of Buclobet, the neighborhood of the mule, not far from the bordello of the drab curfew years that had been so full of light for him. Cornu commented several times on my resemblance in this picture, far from proven, to the French poet. I think Cornu was taken with the Ethiopian dress I wore for the occasion, and by my serious, angular face, or perhaps we had just drunk one too many ouzos. If there is a prodigious life above all others for French intellectuels, it is the imaginary life of Rimbaud, and the morte d'Arthur they spin from it. On the day before he died, Arthur Rimbaud asked for his luggage to be transported aboard the steamer in the port of Marseille. For he must set sail for Affinard at once. There is, obviously, no such destination, unless we are to simply read the French word fin, end, into the name Affinard. It seems that French writers will go on for all eternity sniffing at the cold footsteps of the poet of winged foot. They seem unwilling to understand that it is one thing to be seventeen, drunk on absinthe, and life itself, and another to be middle-aged and in need of a wife and a stone house in the Ardennes next to a ware. Sometimes there are no answers, however hard you look, and that is that. I do think that my Rimbaldian friend understood this himself very well. To share a phrase from another poet we had in common, Cornu also knew that there is a crack in everything, and that's how the light gets in. If I can only wonder why my good friend had to board the steamer for Affinar himself, in a twinkling it will always seem to me, at the end, à la fin, there really is nothing we can do, yet be thankful for the good time spent together on the quay, milling about as we wait for our ship to sail off into the great Laba. I do not like, Cornu de l'Enclos once told me, to wallow in sadness. It is a temptation that too many give in to, rather too easily. One month before opposing a full stop to his life in the Raffles Le Royal Hotel of Phnom Penh, Cornule d'Enclos had posted me a list of chapter headings for a book, the Abyssinian Syllabary, or An Expedition to Mount Kaka, a work he had often expressed the will to write in years past. Together with this outline, he had expedited a lovely kaleidoscope that was furthermore, or so Cornu claimed, a cipher apparatus first used by Arthur Rimbaud 
to communicate with whom, Cornu never said, and later had also served the emperor, Haile Selassie, to convey instructions to the Ethiopian resistance from his exile in Bath. Cornu imparted that he had been gifted the kaleidoscope by the Abun, the Pope of the Tuahedo Orthodox Church, as a recompense for a mission that he, Cornu de l'Enclos, had carried out on his behalf. I did not believe a word of it, all the more so as I had seen the object once before during our outing to Kaffa, where I distinctly remember Cornu as he lovingly fondled it, boasting at the time that it was a bespoke creation designed to his exacting specifications by the last man to design such wonders in the walled town of Volterra, Tuscany. What is more, Cornu claimed that it was a facsimile of the one the Prince de Ligne always carried about his person during his peregrinations throughout Europe. Ah, Monsieur Cornu, there would always be another story, then another, and yet another, snugly nested inside each other like Abyssinian dolls, would they not? Whatever its true provenance, it was a very fine object. Once you placed your eye against the aperture, you found yourself inexorably drawn in, deeper and deeper down into the colourful abysses contained within. On the surface of the outer cylinder, the kaleidoscope was constituted of 33 distinct discs, forged out of a warm ormolu alloy. Each discus featured on the surface of its indented edge the 26 Latin alphabet letters, as well as the 33 main forms of the Gurs syllabary. The allegorical kaleidoscope I had received was all at once a beautiful rendition of one of the most effective cipher contraptions to have ever been invented, designed by none other than President Jefferson himself, although Cornu, cosmopolitan, peut-être, nonetheless foremost a Frenchman, was given to carping that the innovation was rather due to the commandant Étienne de Bazerie, a military cryptographer from Port Vange, and the author of a 1901 work entitled Les Chiffres Secrets Dévoilés. It is only after Cornu's precipitated exit that the brief outline he had taken the time to post to me from Cambodia, together with the remarkable kaleidoscope, took on its full significance. Much like the coloured glass mirrors themselves, which form such bewitching diffractions once revolved into a position in which the light conceives a pattern pleasing to the eye, the volume you are gazing into found its proper focus during an excursion to Mount Kaka, a mountain first surveyed in the 19th century by none other than the French explorer Jules Borelli. Cornu de l'Enclos had sent me as well a rough outline of a girl's syllabary, such as the ones you can buy from the street hawkers in Addis Ababa around the central post office. These posters feature the 33 base configurations of the Gers Alpha syllabary with their seven vocalic declensions, which thus make out 230 syllables. In Cornu de l'Enclos' version, if the sketch he provided did show the 33 main letters, or fidels, as they are known, each corresponded here to a character, to one of his Abyssinian lives. 
He had scrawled out a series of words and fidels from the Ethiopian alpha syllabary in the margins of the poster. Some were illegible, while others had been heavily underlined, together with the mention Marcel Griol, son arithmomancy abyssine. He had added his own name, gauchely transliterated into Gers, Jeune Muchel, with a series of numerical values ascribed to each declension, Jou, Tu, Ne, Six, Me, One, Che, One, Le, Six, etc. Divination? Occult practice? I was at a complete loss, even if my Amharic were better than his. Get it, you? Get it? It would be a gross exaggeration for me to lay claim to being capable of decoding, let alone interpreting, magic scrolls. However, I well understood his reference to Mount Kaka. The name of the mountain would elicit a rapturous grin from Cornu every time he heard it, all the more so as the crater mountain was located in the region of Arsi. You may check it for yourself if you like. No theodolite is required in this day and age and Google Earth will whisk you away to its summit in just one click. We had sworn to climb it together. Ce joli tas de merde, he would exclaim. We'll reach the top and practice pataphysics, he would add. Part of his madcap plan was to erect a statue of Abba Jérôme, an Ethiopian informant of the anthropologist Marcel Griol, on the summit. Abba Jérôme had later in life been anointed without his consent, one should hasten to add, Grand Satrape by the Collège de Pataphysique, a French surrealist sect. For myself, I found these projects far-fetched and a little outré. All of the mystery of Cornu de l'Enclos' drawer resided in a spirit I can only call French, a mood that flitted with the grace of a butterfly between tomfoolery and the sublime. Cornu had made the practice of this tightrope a way of life, and if he sometimes fell below the bar he had set, as we all do, Cornu made no bones of it, and proceeded to dust himself off before engaging once more with the mundane and the splendid of everyday life. The Abyssinian lives of this syllabary also take their cue from the imaginary lives of Marcel Schwab, which Cornu adored. I still have a copy of the book annotated in his hand. The lives recounted here are protean and many-hued, for Cornu relished the diversity of Ethiopia. A tad out of kilter with the times, he was wont to find differences in the peoples he came up against there, the difference, the opposition, being fertile in his eyes. This is a far cry from the current mood which claims that, deep down, we are all one and the same. Give me diversity and wrap it in sameness. Here, in this volume, what you will encounter is Ethiopia, according to Cornu de l'Enclos, a glittering ornament of ever-expanding patterns, all at once rich and baroque, an Abyssinian kaleidoscope, in the handle Cornu had crafted himself, for he liked his metaphors to be at hand and pocket-sized, much as a good book a world that he was saddened to find narrowing in scope, diminished every day, shrinking in its range, losing in its variegated munificence. Was he right? I do not know. 
may the reader, may the traveller, the tourist indeed even, make up their own mind. For beauty, as even Cornu de l'Enclos always agreed, is to be found in the eye of the beholder. Each Abyssinian life is introduced by a saying of the esteemed Ethiopian philosopher Zereyakob, Bulga, early 17th century, Monastery of Debrilibinos, around 1660. These sayings, if they do not have a direct bearing on the life they purport to accompany, do seem to embody the spirit of a certain Cornu de l'Enclos. We should immediately draw to the attention of the reader the fact that these 33 epigrams are themselves bracketed by the 33 major fidel of the traditional order of the Ethiopian syllabary, composed, as we now know, of 33 base shapes, each declined vocally seven times. What more remains to be said? As the interpreter of these notes, I can only further indicate that these maxims of Zereyakob, known by the naive under the guise the master's ladder, are still very much in use in the Ethiopian highlands to carry out divinations when associated with their corresponding Gers Fidel. There remains a number of gyrovags who dedicate their lives to the meditation of these sayings, mumbling them to infinity, while connecting with their footsteps the different fidels and maxims scattered about the landscape. Thus do they lay claim with their feet to an ideal geography of eternal Ethiopia drawn from their allegoric inscape. These Eremites call this the practice of the ladder or the Abyssinia within. They claim that when the rungs of this ladder are well positioned, they can reach the moon itself, and that the latter is a bolus of ethereal cheese that sustains them plenty. I am afraid that I am not sufficiently versed in the Abyssinian occult to be able to provide an opinion on this matter, any more than I can allow myself to stray into the thorny subject of the putative influence on the master's ladder of the spiritual exercises of St. Ignacio de Loyola. To address such an unorthodox topic would require none other than Manuel de Goes, armed with his exuberant Mont Blanc fountain pen. And, alas, de Goes can presently only be located in the infinite shelves of the library of Mount Abora. <laughs>